This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. We're here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays to explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. That is certainly true again today. We're joined, delighted to be joined, by WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert. Joining us from New Jersey. Kathy, first of all, how are you amid all of this? The world changes so fast. Uh, I know you, like all of us, have been sheltered in place. You did a draft. Uh, what's it like? Yeah, so Jason and Mike, great to be talking with you today. Uh, obviously, it's different than any other time in my over three decades in business. But, you know, it's an interesting time. And I think in any crisis situation, you know, issues that you had going into the crisis tend to be accelerated and deepened. And But it's also an opportunity to innovate and to invest and to risk manage. And, and you know, so, you know, it's, it's every day. It's fluid. You have to be lots of agility. Um, I'm so glad. I'm blessed that I had 33 years in business before coming into sports during a global pandemic and now obviously a social justice rising that um, is important to our players with the diversity of our league. So yeah, that, that never a dull moment on the stand for sure. <laughs> Kathy, uh, share with us your plan. I know it's, you're going to be down at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Um, every day there's a new question, a new concern, the spike of cases in Florida. Just share with some of our listeners now what your plan is as of right now. And I know it could change in, four, in 24 hours. Yes, Mike. Thank you for saying that part because of the uh, fluid nature of everything going on. But so first, you know, stepping back a little bit, we came off the first virtual draft on April 17th, had a successful draft where so much could have gone wrong and didn't, thankfully. Um, and, and now then we were, you know, like really deep into scenario planning around, you know, we usually play a 36 game season. The Olympics were being postponed. Normally we don't, we weren't going to play between July 13th and August 13th. So that window's opened up for us. So, you know, we looked at, you know, a full season, a partial season, um, tournament-like season, uh, with or without fans, in arena, not in arena. Um, and, and we looked at no season. And obviously to be absent from the sports landscape for over 20 months because we're a summer season uh, would not, you know, would not be acceptable. So we started working on, you know, at different levels. And we came up with the 22-game season. Uh, we had a variety of sites where we were looking at and IMG Academy, you know, being a best-in-class competitive athletic environment was a was really uh, intriguing to us um they train athletes that's what they do there so that was intriguing and um you know then we set um some guiding principles um number one the uh, health and medical protocols had, had had to be number one uh for both our players and the staff the essential staff and then number two was to provide a competitive highly competitive season so we arrived at 22 games 
at IMG Academy without fans. Um, and it's hard. There's no doubt about it. And then, you know, kind of on top of that, um, our players who have had, you know, a high level of social consciousness, and I've been bragging about them since I took over less than a year ago, uh, of how they do this year round now want to use this as part of their platform around social justice. So, um, so again, lots of scenario planning, and I, I'm, I'm actually pleased at how that came out. And then we did pick the 22 game because if we need contingencies because of a rise in cases and where we are now, you have to, Florida is a big state, so I know there's a lot of media around it, but you have to look at a couple things. You have to look at hospitalizations, ventilator availability, testing availability, mobility into that area. We're in a small county called Manatee County where IMG Academy in Bradenton Falls, and the, thankfully the cases have not, you know, been large there. But, you know, we're monitoring that daily and, again, monitoring the hospitalizations, which have been extremely small there. Um, but, you know, again, this is going to be all about a medical and safety protocol around testing and temperature checks and symptom checks and mask wearing and social distancing and you know, um, I know more about this, the the trajectory of this virus than I'll, I'll ever want to know. Yeah, I bet. Uh, but, you know, all of that's really important. And Kathy, tell us about the conversations, you know, then and maybe more importantly, now with the players and their representatives. They're obviously very worried uh, about their health. And I mean, we'll start with health, but but then maybe move to some of the conversations you're having, as you alluded to, around uh, racial justice and, and activism. But Specifically, what's sort of the, the tone and tenor of, of the conversations right now with the athletes? Yeah, I, I've had uh, an opportunity to talk to the player leadership at the, the Players Association, the player reps for each team, and, and even broader players. And, and just to get there, and, and I, I just, you know, again, with my business experience, I knew as soon as we hit this pandemic, like the number one thing is communication. Uh, you cannot over-communicate in the middle of a crisis, especially a health crisis that is causing economic burden on everyone, and then obviously with the social justice as well. So um, so this is all about communication. So, again, our players have lots of questions. We've been answering them. We've been looking at frequently asked questions and making sure we can get them out to all players. We still have players overseas um, in international markets because, you know, about tw- a little over 20 of our players are from other countries. So, you know, you have to find different ways to communicate. Um, Obviously, we want to make sure we're providing all the medical and safety protocols as well as the mental health resources they've asked about. So I think for the most part, our players are excited uh, and ready to get back on the court. Um, You know, we we will and have had a a few players opt out on the season so far. We totally expected that. Um, we expected it for a variety of reasons, and especially when the recent murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, who are, you know, again, have really put this systemic oppression of black lives in America back on the back on the, the screen for everybody. But our players have had it all along. So that also is leading into maybe some opt outs. But I think we think we can really uh, continue to have a very highly competitive season with these elite women at female athletes. And um, and I think they, you know, for the most part, you know, yeah, do they have a lot of questions? Yes. And I said the other day, they will have questions until we crown a WNBA champion. And that's what I'm here for, to make them feel like we are here to answer their questions. We're here to support them in their social justice platform and just communication being so important. And every leader, like I know, we're all saying the same thing, because especially during a crisis like this. 
Will there be any sort of uniform uh, uh, stand-up for social justice before every game at halftime or something with the team, something that the league is going to do, or are you going to leave it up to the individual players and the individual teams? Yes, yeah, so uh, very good question, Mike. We are working with the uh, our Players Association and our players. Um, we've already held some community conversations with them on social justice and the reality of racial trauma and, um, you know, had some experts, social activist experts, as well as mind health experts, um, civil and human rights experts. So we're already well on our way to, you know, getting our players. Because you actually have to build trust during this period, too. Um, you know, uh, so uh, Natasha Cloud had, you know, a powerful uh, article in the Players' Tribune. You know, I, you may already know this. Maya Moore took a year off last year to work on criminal justice reform and is taking this year off as well. We kind of launched a bigger than ball women's empowerment uh, merchandise, um, you know, around this. So um, we are looking at prominent court placements, uh, letting players express how they want to express themselves during during the season and actually kind of dedicate the season to their social justice platform. So we're working on the details on that with players, um, you know, literally as we speak. And Kathy, I wonder how you sort of approach this moment and feel about it. You know, having worked as you did in corporate America for a number of years, 30 plus years at, at Deloitte, um, trailblazing in in your way through, you know, a very male uh, corporate America, to say the least, which remains to this day, you know, how do you approach it, especially as as you've alluded to, you know, this is a league sort of built on empowerment and equality in many ways, but I wonder from a personal perspective how you approach it. Yeah, I, I think, again, um, I'm using every bit of everything I learned at yeah. Deloitte around scenario planning, around communication, around how to, you know, I was involved in the, very involved in leadership during the, the crisis of 08, 09. Now that was, look, call it, I know this is going to sound weird, just a financial crisis, yeah. uh, not a global it's a fair, pandemic. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. It's it, it, not a global pandemic that is then creating, you know, an economic downturn and high unemployment and, and lots of obviously issues out, out there. So, um, so I, I mean, I really think for me, you know, uh, there was a reason I took this job last July and it was, you know, I wanted to make a difference, a broader women's empowerment platform. Uh, I wanted to transform this league. We put in three pillars of that transformation, which was player first, which we got the collective bargaining agreement done in January. Uh, which was revenue, revenue models, economic model, which is very difficult. I cannot, you know, <laughs> spare that um, during this pandemic. Uh, but, you know, we're hoping that, you know, we make some investments during it and we come out stronger, which is why we need a season this year. And then a, a fan engagement. And, and you know, that was a really important pillar that, um, you know, now obviously with a different, you're actually changing the whole model of sports right now to put on sports without fans. And how do you do that? And how do you work with uh, innovation and technology and tap to clap, tap to cheer apps? Well, while hopefully fans are at home, you know, watching and, and what do you do with augmented reality and what can you do with digital and virtual signage in the arena that you're playing in without fans? So, um, so much to think about there. And I, again, I just feel blessed that I had this great training to come in and become the commissioner of the WNBA at a time when we were just like less than a year into a, a major transformation. And, and we've got to kind of keep the, you know, keep these priorities going, but 
obviously pausing now to try to put a season on with health and safety protocols, number one. So, so following up on that, Kathy, how do you connect with the fans who will not be able to be sitting in an arena around the country watching um, all your teams compete? Uh, what's, what's some of the most innovative things you've heard and some of the wackiest things you've heard? <laughs> so, you know, one of the things we, we try to, and this is, this is I'm a big believer in do some small things of symbolic value to build trust, and then the harder things you can get done. So with our rookie class, so as part of draft, you know, we were supposed to have a live draft, bring them to New York City, the big city from their universities, and, uh, and, and you know, kind of get to know them, do a rookie orientation. So, you know, we immediately kind of said we need some innovation. We actually partnered with Snapchat on a virtual, you know, an augmented reality app where I filmed for the top 16 picks or so. Uh, individual messages so that when they got kind of a swag bag at home, they would open it, they'd click on the Snapchat icon, and I would literally pop up in augmented reality wow. <laughs> with a message, congratulations on your college career. We're so, you know, we're looking forward to draft and welcome, welcoming you to the WNBA. So we're trying to find things like that, things through Google Lens that fans can scan any WNBA logo or team logo, and they get some kind of content. Obviously, when we're in the single site down at IMG Academy, we're going to be looking at ways to provide social media content and fan content back. And then the technology that you're probably all hearing about on these tap-to-clap, tap-to-cheer apps, can you do some gamification off of that? Um, I think there's a lot of people working really hard in the kind of tech space to find ways to engage fans in a different way is legalized sports betting as it gets approved in states part of that gamification. Um, does that draw a new fan base in for us, uh, which we normally wouldn't have had. So we're thinking about all of that. And we were already thinking of that as part of our fan engagement pillar. And now it's like, what can you accelerate? What can you pilot? Not everything will be successful. And that's another thing, as Jason and Mike, you know, like in the middle of a crisis, you've got to take some risks and pilot some things. And maybe they don't look great on TV, but the fan likes it sitting in their living room at home. But, you know, there are not everything. And I've I've been watching, you know, the Bundesliga and English Premier and, you know, kind of some of the other leagues that have started up before us to say what's working, what's not there. And instead of criticizing what's not working, how can you actually use innovation to try to have fans, you know, who probably need to get used to what the broadcast is going to look like? Because I assure you, it's not going to be the same as being in, you know, arenas that could fit, you know, ten to eighteen thousand people. So uh, it's all going to be different. But we're working really hard on this on this avenue. So, Kathy, you know, and you've alluded to this, and certainly one of the things we've heard as all sports have tried to uh, get back to work in some form or fashion, we certainly have heard this from Major League Baseball, which is sort of limping towards some sort of a season, a commissioner-mandated uh, season, which I'm guessing you did not want to be in, in uh, <laughs> Manfred's shoes uh, in this in this particular case. But I do wonder about the economics of all this. And, and you've talked about, you know, kind of how the league works and uh, the various revenue sources. But give us a sense of what's what's lost and gained here as you try and figure this out and, and what the season ultimately looks ultimately looks like yeah so obviously if you think about losing fans especially you know for our league where we had over 1.3 million fans sit in our seats last year um you know not having you know that revenue um trying to maintain revenue for broadcast revenue for 
uh, sponsors and partners. And, you know, those, those are all things that, you know, we're working on hard to maximize as part of this. But, you know, coming back to health and safety, number one, number two, competitive play and a competitive season, highest level of play we can get. Uh, and then, you know, all of those other things are on the list and being worked on in parallel. Uh, but it's not easy. I will tell you, our owners have stepped up. Our owners stepped up with a loud voice to ensure that we were going to pay the players their full salary this year, which is very unusual given that we're going to have a shortened season. And, you know, I'm proud of them and the league and the support we get, you know, from all of our stakeholders on that because that, that wasn't easy. And, and, you know, the cost of testing and all the medical protocols, um, and the cost of not again, or the lost revenue from not having fans in arenas, is um, is something I think all sports are are balancing and struggling. And certainly for our a league of our size and scale, you know th- this is difficult. But we felt, you know, along with the ownership group, that it was really important not to be absent from the sports landscape for over 20 months and to capitalize on the momentum we had coming off the collective bargaining agreement coming off a successful draft and to have a season to the extent we feel we can put on a uh, the health and safety protocols that would that would be up to our standards based on our um, consultations with our um, medical and state and local health officials again I've learned more about that whole ecosystem throughout this as well you know infectious <laughs> disease specialist epidemiologist and thankfully I have like some family members that are doctors and nurses that, that you know and I actually used to work before I started Deloitte for a pediatrician for eight wow. years through high school and college. Wow. So, and then I worked in life sciences, pharmaceuticals at um, Deloitte for many, many years, two, de- two decades. So I know a little bit, but now I know a lot more than maybe the average citizen, maybe not. <laughs> I was just scrambling through Google. I said, I didn't know Lehigh had a medical school. I've <laughs> 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 exactly. I think we all, you know, we all are becoming a, a bit of our own, uh, at least sources for medical information around COVID, COVID-19 and the community spread and the trajectory of the virus. And, you know, and we're all reading so much, you know, because work from home. So right, one quick follow up. You've got about a half a dozen coaches that are in their early to mid or late 60s. Now, we know some of the players are have uh, health concerns. Any health concerns been voiced from any of those coaches? We have a whole process that we've employed and we're in the process of uh, around, um, it's not just age, it's, as as you indicated, medical conditions, high-risk medical conditions for severe, potential severe uh, COVID. So, you know, that is definitely on the list. But, you know, what's been fascinating about this, all of that we have a process for, we have physicians advising us. We also have, you know, the normal stuff that you would have as part of a season. And normally you would have, you know, players playing overseas in our league coming into training camp, you know, obviously having, having you know, not a big break in in not working out. And now we have, you know, three to four months of not working out. Um, and a lot of that was stay-at-home time as, as, you know, instructed through the different state and local requirements requirements because of COVID. So, you know, we, we've got a whole plan. It's more of a broad medical plan, COVID and non-COVID, um, but certainly looking at uh, anybody who's part of essential staff, what we call the travel party to Florida, as well as players and, and looking at those and, and getting advice from team physicians, as well as, um, you know, our doctors at the league level. So Kathy, I, I do wonder as an athlete, uh, and Mike mentioned your, your time at Lehigh where you were a two-sport varsity athlete, I, I believe, both basketball and lacrosse. Do I have that right? Yes, yes. So you've played the game, but not just played the game. you played the games. Uh, 
you were an athlete uh, in your collegiate years. You have seen, you know, women's athletics, I hope, uh, progress pretty dramatically over time. But I do wonder, where are we now at this moment where I feel like we're considering and reconsidering all things around equality? Where do you think we are when it comes to women and athletics? Yeah, so that's been probably one of the things as I took on this role last summer. Uh, obviously, I was a big beneficiary of Title IX because I was growing up in the 70s and I had five brothers and I was playing three sports in, in college, in high school and two in college, as you mentioned. And thank you for mentioning lacrosse, too. They they don't get the shout out that they they deserve. Uh, Listen, I have a lacrosse player in my house. Ha- I have a male lacrosse player in my house and a two-year-old who I'm sure will become a, a- women's lacrosse player, so I would be in big trouble at home if anybody listened to this and I didn't mention (laughs) lacrosse. Yes, um, but, you know, my passion has always been in sports with brothers and a father who was drafted by the Detroit Pistons in 1957. I don't know if you guys knew that. I did not. Um, That is a great, great note. 1957. Yeah, they were actually called the Fort Wayne Pistons back then, and then a year later, I think, changed to changed to yeah but he played under jack ramsey at st joe's university back when st joe's you know was a powerhouse in basketball and the big five in philadelphia where i'm from yeah we're we're big big sports programs in basketball um but again huge beneficiary of title nine i know we just had the 49th anniversary the other day of that and espn did a nice job with you know profiling women's sports but you know where are we we're just we're not where we need to be someone described this to me you're pushing a big boulder up the hill and you just got to kind of tip it to the top. But as a former accountant and consultant at Deloitte, I say, well, give me the data. And the data is, you know, less than less than 5% of all media coverage covers women's sports and less than 1% of all corporate sponsorship dollars go to women's sports. So I got those statistics last summer. I said, what's the numerator and the denominator? How can we move these percentages? And and that's um, that's what, you know, we set off to do and, and set off to kind of empower, at least through our efforts at the WNBA and broad, more broadly. I mean, one of the things, and, um, you know, if you have kids and you have a daughter who reaches 12, 13, 14, they drop out at alarming rates of organized sports versus their male counterparts. And so, you know, my my hope is that, you know, what we're doing at the WNBA, the role models these players are, is is hopefully going to drive a broader narrative around supporting women and girls in sports. And we're doing a lot in a stakeholder group around why are um, girls dropping out at alarming rates versus boys, because we know like someone like me gained a lot of my leadership skills on the court and on the, right. and the lacrosse field. Um, and there's no doubt that I I wouldn't have developed the way I did, and I had great mentors and sponsors at Deloitte as well, but an experience. But you know, without kind of that grounding, and not that everybody has to play sports that becomes a leader, but it, it sure for me was helpful. And I think more girls need to stay in sports, um, especially in today's environment where we've got a lot of mental health issues, we've got a lot of uh, other things, obesity, we've got a lot of things that that society is troubled with in addition to the social and racial justice um, and, you know, climate change and all the other social uh, issues out there, societal issues. So it's really important that I I think that we um, elevate women's sports. So that's why I appreciate, you know, you guys and, you know, the media when we do get covered. Um, It's really important to lift the profile and that, you know, and that girls and young boys see women role models in sports, not just male role models. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. And, and Mike and I had a chance to catch up earlier this week with Elena Beard, and obviously she has now moved on. She's sort of gone <laughs> gone the other way. She's gone from sports to business, and obviously, as you know, is working as a venture capitalist out in Silicon Valley. And you know, her perspective was invaluable about that. You know, what sports ha- has done for her, but also you know, sort of the differences and, and the struggles. You know both as a woman and, and obviously as a woman of color uh, as well during these times. And it, it is a reminder, you know, hearing from you and those statistics are, are depressing candidly around yeah. uh, sponsorship yeah. and, and viewership. And uh, it's a reminder that that uh, that boulder that you described, it is big. It is big and, uh, and, and not moving too fast, unfortunately. Yeah, and the denominator is huge. So to move it, you have the you got to make lots of progress on the numerator, which is the support for women's sports. So you know, one of our platforms we announced at the same time as collective bargaining agreement was a WNBA changemaker platform. These are companies that are going to step up in big ways to support the WNBA and and more broadly women's sports. So we're starting to see companies do that. Again, hitting a pandemic hasn't been helpful uh, right. to that to any any program. But I, I think again we're uh, we're we're pleased with where we were coming into the pandemic. We need to get through this. We need to put a season on. We need health and safety to be number one. Uh, we need to be agile and then kind of come out of this and relook at those percentages and say, how can we drive those and move those? So more the most important question, Kathy, right now, do you still have game and could you compete with any of the players in the league in a mean game of horse right now? <laughs> well, one <laughs> of the most interesting things about the pandemic is that, you know, my son, who, who's uh, just finished his freshman year in college, has been home since his spring break because he never went back. And and so every night about 6 or 7 o'clock, if I can get a break from all the medical and safety protocols we're putting in place, we go out and we play on this little court on the end of our street. And for Mother's Day, my kids bought me, brought, bought me a um, three-point line chalk kit. So we now drew a three-point line and a foul line. We had already spray-painted the foul line out there, which I I got from my brothers growing up. But we literally have a legit three-point line out there now. And so we go out and play horse. And, no, I definitely could not compete against WNBA players. Uh, But my son and I, we we duke it out back and forth. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, listen, uh, we really appreciate you taking some time. We know it's a fast-moving time, a fast-moving story in many ways. I think we're all hoping, uh, as we know you are, uh, that we do see a season, that you're able to get down to Florida and pull something off because we need sports. We know uh, that it's important for everyone, the players, the fans, uh, and everyone one else. Uh, WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Kathy. Jason and Mike. Stay healthy. Thanks, guys. And our thanks to Kathy Engelbert, the WNBA Commissioner. Really enjoyed that, Mike. Well, you can catch our podcast right here every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter. Find me at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me on Twitter at LynchyWCVB. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast from Bloomberg Radio around the world.